Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. It's a special episode today to mark the launch of the 2023 Wisdom. I'm Yaz Rana and with me this afternoon is Phil Walker, Mark Butcher and Lawrence Booth, the editor of the 2023 Wisdom. Um, let's start with the Wisdom 5. Lawrence, who are they? Uh, the Wisdom 5, Tom Blundell, Ben Folks, Harmon Precourt, Daryl Mitchell and Matthew Potts, with the usual caveats about the award. Uh, <laughs> emphasis on the English summer. You can only be chosen once. Do I really have to repeat myself? But I just have. I, I was going to ask, why wasn't Bairstow on him? I thought he did, I thought he did quite well last God's year. God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess picking two players from a touring side that lost 3-0 doesn't happen very often. Um, but was part of that because of how amazing that series was and that kind of how how memorable that was and, and how big those two players were in making it so memorable. Yeah, I mean, 3-0 was a weird scoreline, wasn't it? Because England chased down 270 twice and 299 once. So it was slightly freakish, 3-0 win. It could have been 3-0 the other way, really. And had it been that, then Blundell and Mitchell, their, their stature would have risen even higher. But they they were sensational. And without those two, England would have would have cakewalked the series. But, um, you know, Blundell averaged 76, Mitchell averaged over 100 and England couldn't get them out pretty well each time. So, that it, yeah, it was weird. Two guys from the, th- the visiting team that lost 3-0, but it was hard to ignore them. Mm. Um, and Harman Precourt as well. She played one of the innings of the summer at Canterbury. Yeah, 143 not out of 111 balls. India hadn't won a one-day series in England since the, the previous millennium. Um, and she should have won a Commonwealth gold, shouldn't she, really? She was leading that run chase against Australia, one of the, the greatest cricket teams of all time, and she, she got out to 60-odd. So she, so she got the silver, and and she, she just, uh, she, she feels like the next generation uh, of Indian women's cricket after Mitali Raj retired, and she, she leads them a bit of fire, doesn't she? Hmm. Um. And there is a new award. The Wisdom Trophy used to be awarded to the winner of the England West Indies Test Series, but that's now named after Ian Botham and Viv Richards. Um, now it's awarded to the Test Performance of the Year. There was a short list of ten, three of which came from one guy, Johnny Bairstow, and he was the guy who won it. Um, what was it about the Ed Baston performance over the Trent Bridge and Headingley Heroics that, that pipped it for you? Well, I mean, he scored 200s in that game. So just the 100 in the other game. You know, pull his socks up, really. Um, and England, in that in the Edgbaston game, they chased down 378, which was a national record. And they did it for the loss of three wickets. I mean, you, you sort of felt like they could have chased down 500 that day. And that I, I think after those three chases against New Zealand, that chase against India really 
cemented in the minds of the public that there was something special going on with this team. And Besto was the he was the baseball poster boy, wasn't he, mm. last summer until he broke his his leg and Harry Brook kind of took over in Pakistan, and New Zealand. But Bairstow was the guy who started waving that flag first off. So, yeah, again, a reasonably straightforward choice for me anyway. Mm. Um, Butch, I think we mentioned this on last year's podcast, but you hold the record of having the most England test caps without being Wisdom Critics of the Year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so look, it's sli- sli- slightly awkward the, one. The to... awards themselves, <laughs> I, I find very distasteful and, and often <laughs> extremely wrong. Um, <laughs> mainly for that reason. In fact, I can't believe we've opened the podcast Talking about it, to be honest, especially as we only came second in the in the li- wisdom list of podcasts as well. That, I mean, we couldn't even win our own. Hold on, that's no. not entirely accurate. No, no, we we are now apparently uh, the best of the UK offerings. According to, wi- according to according wisdom. to wisdom, according to wisdom, so oh, wisdom is now the best of the UK offerings according yeah. to wisdom. Yeah, okay. uh, but. Obviously, right. so obviously I, I rest my case. Stewards' inquiry, no doubt about it. It rather <laughs> rather lacks for for credibility. However, <laughs> we've been studiously ignored in previous podcast write-ups in the Wisdom yeah. Almanac. I, I feel like As if <laughs> the damn bursts here. The pressure told we had to reflect the reality of the of the quality of this mm. pod. <laughs> there not, you go. I'm not saying today's is any good, but in general, <laughs> but in terms of the players' awards, hopeless. I don't know why anybody bothers listening to it, let alone <laughs> gets upset about what happens. I feel I, like it's very BBC. At all, no, not um, at all. Never have been. Um, <laughs> I was, I was going to ask that 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 um, Bearstow streak is genuinely one of the greatest streaks of batting ever. Um, but you've been a fan of of Bearstow for years. Did did you think he he had that in did, him? Well, not 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 like that. But right. I, kind of what happened? How many how, how, how many times how many times on this podcast over the years have I said that all of the nonsense about Johnny Bearstow keeping wicket and, and batting at seven and doing all this kind of stuff was rubbish because he is one of the best batters that we've got in the mm. country. I don't know how many times. So this is all basically down to me. Um, <laughs> it's one of those days. Um, I, I knew he was a, an extremely good player. I mean, you, you don't have the sort of ODI stats, some of the leading ODI stats ever, um, without being a, a terrific player. Uh, and then a combination of that, a combination of him being, you know, being given the, the the responsibility and the and the knowledge that he's going to bat five. That's your spot. Um, not keeping wicket for hundreds of overs at a time before he has to go out and bat, and playing in a team that's going out with the express purpose of, of entertaining people is absolutely, um, you know, it's all of the all of the worlds colliding beautifully for him. Uh, and it was a, it's a massive shame that you know the 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 golfing incident, the accident, which is a, is a sort of you know football warm ups got banned, and there are lots and lots of cricket fans who hate golf with, with an enormous passion. I'm looking at one over there in Phil, um, <laughs> and so that you know they might ban England players from doing. They might not have, actually have a team if they were to do that, but they might ban England players. Yeah, I mean that would golf. be mutiny. <laughs> that would be you the know, end of it. One thing, no one, one thing would ever go on tour again. That's it. Yeah, um, that would be it for for England. Well, I mean, tests we, 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 didn't, we didn't quite say it in the New Zealand tour, but there was. You know, element of wanting to play golf and their declaration. I think at Wellington. Yeah, no, no doubt. Yeah. Getting done in four. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they would, and they would have admitted that as yeah. well. Yeah. But look, I mean, I suppose it, it then it now sort of um, throws up this tantalising um, game within a game of you know, there's only a certain amount of batting spots in the in the England team. Ben Folks has kind of come out at the beginning of the season, one of the one of the five. And sort of said, well, you're not having my spot, you know, making making the hundred. He's been and, brilliant as well, right? And, and he is brilliant. Mm. I mean, he, and he, and he's shown that, proven that in a in an England shirt, anyway. Um, and now you've got, you know, you've got you've got sort of six places, um, with seven players looking for them. Um, and and there's a, there's an obvious weak spot there somewhere. I'm not even going to say his name because um, 
It's not it makes no it? difference. It, may, it makes no difference what anybody says or what logic says. Um, but you know, there is there is a, a player in there who's not who hasn't pulled up any trees and who is under increasing pressure. And you've got these two guys in Bairstow and 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 um, and, uh, and Harry Brook sort of vying for the number five spot. Brook's already sort of said because he's he's a clever boy, um, or at least he's cricket smart. Anyway. He's, he's, <laughs> He's uh, he sort of said, "Well, look, I'll bat, in, I'll bat anywhere. Don't worry about me. I'll go wherever you put me." Um, and Johnny would be very, very keen to repri- reprise number five all over all right. again. So you've got. That, sorry, that's we've gone a long way off piece, but no, that's kind good. of what it's. it's that's good. what it does, isn't it? This, it's this good, whole conversation though, because this is the question that everybody is asking more and more, and it's this only going to be ramped up over the next few weeks. So let's do it, sod it. Let's do it now. If we, if speaking theoretically, right? If we believe in the, the principle that you've got to pick your best players and they fit them into a top six, right, as a, the- as a theory. And if we feel like like Zach is not quite the answer at the minute, et cetera, et cetera, and that he's going to be moved aside, which is all theoretical and probably unlikely anyway, but if it were to be to come to pass, Lawrence, where do you go? Well, who, who, who opens the batting? Along, assume, assuming that Duckett is your other man, who opens the batting alongside I'll Duckett? I'll go back a couple of steps. Start from first principles. Who's keeping wicket? For me, it has to be Folks. Right, right? done. Okay, so, so if Folks is there, and Bairstow obviously comes back in and you're keeping Brooke, and you're dropping Zach Crawley, yep. th- then the only, the only other option is a mad option, but you wouldn't put it past him, and that is Ben Stokes to open. Yes, I, I agree and with this. Listen, could he score fewer runs than Zach Crawley? I don't think he would. I, th- I think he might win you a couple of games. Mm. Um what have England got to lose by trying him up there? The, the other alternative is keeping Crawley in and leaving out one of the guys we've just mentioned, which would be Folks, which would be unfair. So it would be unfair, but also, and it would also put Johnny back in the position that he was in before, where he was never, where he'd never been as productive as he was as a lone batter batting at number five. So uh, to me, that is not that's not the answer. So, so what it's, is it's, for a, you? it's a huge compromise, and it's one of those it's one of those things whereby, and it's kind of one of those Alex Stewart. Um, conversations in reverse, where where you would compromise um, you would compromise Alex's ability with the bat in order to give the team balance. Now, what you what you'd be doing here would be you'd be compromising Johnny's ability with the bat in order to give the team balance um, to have him bat at number seven and keep wicket. And I think that's unnecessary, right? Because because there is a bloke in the in the eleven that none of those blokes would score less runs than, mm-hmm. no matter where you put him. And would so, you open with Stokes? Yeah, but I wouldn't. I, I perhaps wouldn't do it with him. I might. I might ask Harry Brook to do it. Yeah, yeah. So that's the way that I would lean. And really? I'd, yeah. I said, but, this, but I, Stokes, said, I said this to you a few weeks. Stokes I decided might... it about two in the morning, having wrapped my brains. <laughs> I, I've thought, done this without any alcohol. But no, Stokes, deep, you know, but Stokes. Deep. But the thing is, with Stokes, is that he and why Lawrence's um, shout is a good one is that Stokes might go, well, look, I'm not going to ask anybody to do anything I wouldn't do myself. So sod it, I'll do it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the point about the, the, the Stuart doctrine, if you like, that it would be weakening um, Stokes's majesty at number six would be obviously a counterpoint to the argument. And I understand the argument, by the way. Technically, he's as sound a player as they got inside, perhaps with the exception of Root. And uh, I guess there would be extra onus on him to get the, get his head on, having maybe you know, been overworked in the field and then suddenly you've got to go and strap them on. That would be an, an added element of pressure or, or a kind of mental challenge that he'd they have don't, to They don't do pressure, though, do no, they? No, they don't. They don't. I mean, they say they don't. Um, I can understand it, for sure. Uh, I like, in this weird scenario, I like the Brook idea. Um, I think 
I think he's technically sound enough. I think he'll nick off from time to time. Of course he will. But I think he's, he's cricket smarts, as Mark says. It's, they're, they're so advanced for a kid of his age. And I know he's not done it before. But you've seen players in the past who have moved up and down the order. You've seen players who have opened as makeshift openers and then gone back into the middle order and, and vice yeah. versa. It has happened before. Uh, I think he's adaptable enough. And I think he's, if he survives the first hour... It's a big he, if, though, against coming. It, it is, but, it, but, it's, but it's a big if ball. against every 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 yeah. option. Every yeah. option out there is a big if, right? But I, I feel like with la- last summer, um, I mean, but you are Stokes about this at the end of it. He he basically didn't bat normally, with the exception of one innings, and he scores a hundred. England kind of did what they did without Stokes being at his at his best, and I think that I kind of like the way you phrase it, Lawrence. You kind of have these immovables, and I think for me, Brooke has done so well in a specific position. He's so early in his career. Why Why risk changing anything? He has been the form... He's not just the form England player at the moment. He's the form test batter in the world doing this thing. Why Why okay. change that? But you could also argue that if it's the fourth innings of mm. an absolute you know, clutch test match, who's your best finisher? Who's got the, who's got the, the, the biggest balls? Who's going to see it through? Who's not going to blink? Ben Stokes. Root. I'd and say. obviously yeah, yeah. Ben Stokes yeah. at number six. Uh so again, you know, you can make a case and you can disprove it all across the board. But I think people I, are. I don't think I don't think you're messing with 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 somebody like Harry Brooks' career in doing this. It's not right. a that that's. I think for me, that's where that, that's where it becomes more um, more palatable. It's not ideal. None of none of it's ideal. So we're not talking about sort of like this is the best the best thing to happen and it's going to work forever. But I just don't. Th- I think Harry Brook is so good that you're not messing with him too much. Right. You know, exactly. it, it, you, it, he might have, you know, he might have the odd, the odd, he might have a bad series. I mean, who knows? He might. So but then, he, but, but the risks in moving somebody like Ben Stokes with all the other stuff that he has to deal with in terms of, in terms of setting the agenda for the team and all the other work, I'm quite happy with him where he is. And jo- but Johnny Bairstow is the one. Johnny Bairstow is the one that gets more affected by what, by him bouncing up and down. Even the, even the, the sort of the psychological effect of being preferred by the youngster to mm, him, mm. you know, that the knock to his ego that there would be if he was, you That's know, good shout. If Brooke were to, so mm. it would, it would be more detrimental to him to move him than it would be to anybody else. Is yeah. what I'm saying. I, and so I, I, in an imperfect like world, that. there is that there is my explanation for why that's the way I would go. Yeah. So, However, so, it's all completely moot because Zach Crawley will be playing. <laughs> so, so, so Brooks, what, 24, 25, something like yeah. that. Root would have been what, 22? I was just going to say the 23, 2013 maybe Ashes. in the 2013 Ashes yeah. when he opened the batting. Yeah. Um, he got a couple, of course, uh, he got a couple of good ones. He nicked off a couple of times. He also got 180 at Lords. Uh, the good players are good players. Uh, Rohit Sharma would make runs at four or, he, or he'd make runs as an opening bat, right? Uh, I think Mark's point about it not impacting long-term one way or the other on Brooks', Brooks undoubtedly 100 test match career that, that's, that's going to run furlough the next mm. few years. I think it's absolutely bang on there. Mm. And I think it's, it's a tantalizing hit as well because you imagine mm. if it actually works. <laughs> you imagine if he gets 450 runs, you know, wins, wins a game one afternoon. Yeah, but I, I kind of think that about I kind of think that about Stokes though opening. I think that is so tantalising. I think I like both ideas. I mean, I do mm. like both ideas. I don't think either one would be wrong. I think the only wrong is Ben Folks not playing. I think that's wrong. 
Um, and then you do what you do what you like with the rest. So if Brooke opens, you know, they might, Ben Duckett might not play. Right? Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, sure. I, mean, I look, I don't know. So, but do you see what I mean? Yeah. I think the only the only wrong in this would be Ben Folks losing his place and and then handing the gloves to Johnny Best. I think that's a bad place to start. In a in in his very hypothetical world, uh, and Brooks opening, Folks in the side, Stokes in the middle order as well. Would you be tempted to swap Folks and Stokes in the order? So Folks at six. Stoke seven. Um, obviously, he, he had a really good test summer last year, but it's quite interesting that he performs very different roles for Surrey in England. Um, he has never batted in the top six for England. He only bats in the top six for Surrey. Um, he's, he's the glue in the Surrey side. You know, mm. they've got hitting all rounders from seven down, and obviously they've got you know like minor genius in Pope just above him. But he is the glue in that middle mm. order, kind of like a Collingwood like role, if you like, that could, could yeah, be replicated in this England side. I, I can see the logic but, of it. But why? Um, I, th- I think sometimes, especially with the tail England now have, I, th- I, th- I sometimes think that folks just doesn't get very long until he has to start thinking about batting in a way that I spoke, he doesn't I, do. I wrote his profile on this, his wisdom, which is the five, and I was speaking to him in Karachi about this, and he's saying it's interesting when he you know, bats, what, top five for Surrey, and he's, he's always in with another batter, top order mm. batter, so he can play his normal game. With England, he's in at seven, and very quickly he's in with a bowler. And England have a long tail now with, you know, possibly Leach or Broad at eight or Potts or Robinson or whatever. It's, it is an uncomfortably long tail. So he's, he's having to reinvent the game he's learned at county cricket. With England now, moving him to six actually isn't a bad shout. I think that gives Stokes, like I've just said Stokes should open. But if in this <laughs> hypothetical world Stokes is going in at seven, that also gives him a bit more license. And let's face it, in New Zealand, Stokes was having a bit of a laugh with the bat, wasn't he really? He wasn't, he wasn't sort of getting the best out of himself, mm. which is partly one of the reasons I think opening might refocus his mind a bit as a batter. And I think he has less to lose. He's at that stage of his career where it doesn't matter so much. Mm. I sort of slightly disagree about putting Brooke up there. He's, as a risk, basically, he's played like it doesn't matter so much anyway, isn't he, for the last, you know. It's, but it, yeah, it felt more extreme been, in New Zealand, I think. But. Yeah, but even here last, you know, last year, pretty, pretty similar. Um, yeah. But, yeah, on folks, I don't think people realise how good his record with the batting county right. is. So he averages he averages forty five for Surrey for his entire Surrey career. It's a you know forget forget the gloves. He's in the conversation as one of the best middle order players in the. Strung the hundred right as well in this in the first round. Of first games. round, yeah, against yeah. Lancashire. Um, under a bit of, well not spotlight again. Yeah. You know he's he's right in the prime of his of his time. I think now as a cricketer. Mm. Um, Going back to the awards, um, Lawrence, Ben Stokes was the Segway. cricketer of the year. Um, statistically, a guy who averaged 36 with the bat, 30 with the ball. He did, obviously, he had a pretty good T- T20 World Cup as well. Um, statistically, doesn't leap off the page. But when we take a step back, how unique a year was this? How Have we seen captains be this influential before when you take away their own contributions with bat and ball? No, I don't think so. Um, and that's why he got the award. I mean, you know, his, his figures are okay. He played the match-winning innings in the T20 World Cup final. That was a pretty good innings. Um, this is a guy who's transformed the way a test team are playing and maybe will have an impact on other test sides. Uh, took over the, the test side. They'd won one out of 17. They were a bit of a laughing stock, let's face it. Come out of Ashes 4-0, drop Broad and Anderson in the Caribbean, lose that 1-0. Stokes comes in, people going, can he deal with all this? An extra job on his plate. And they win 10 out of 12 in spectacular fashion, nearly five and over. Even one of the tests they lose, they should have won by one run after enforcing the following because they wanted to play golf. Um, so he, he has got people talking about test cricket. There is a, a word, basball, is being used to describe an entire style of play. Now, they don't like that. But let's be honest, if, if the sporting public are using a, a talking about cricket because they've heard of this thing called basball, well, that's a, that's... 
means Test cricket's got as good a chance as it ever had has had of being talked about. Mm. So Stokes has got Test cricket back in the public conversation, and that's why he won the award. He's transformed the way a game, a format that's been going for nearly 150 years, um, is is taking place. Mm. Uh, could I ask you then about your editor's notes, Lawrence, and um, in particular your comments on Test cricket? Uh, I'll just quote a few back at you if that's all right but I sure. want to make you blush <laughs> well uh, don't know about it, blush it's strong and trenchant stuff though and absolutely needs to be said but just to pick a couple of paragraphs out more enterprises needed to maintain interest in test cricket after the international fixture list confirmed a hopeless imbalance between this this summer and the end of the 26-7 winter England will play 20 of their 43 tests against Australia or, or India and only those three teams will regularly contest meaningful series uh, we could go on. There's plenty more within that, yeah. uh, of course. What drove you to write it? Um, and what solutions can we try and unpick from from this, as you as you put it, horrible imbalance? Well, I've, so this is the 12th wisdom I've done. And occasionally I've revisited this theme. It's a bit of a wisdom theme. Funny how it comes around. Yeah. It comes around. I, I think this year more than ever, sitting there in January when I start writing the notes and there were five T20 franchise tournaments going on around the world, many of them overlapping. It was impossible to follow. It must have been bewildering for sort of fans around the world. And the, the sense of meaning and jeopardy just, just wasn't there for me. Um and we've seen it. So England, India, and Australia are sort of okay because they can pay their players enough not to have to go on these. Well, India, of course, they're banned anyway, apart from the IPL. England, Australia can keep their players happy. The rest are, are going to hell, aren't they, really, in that respect? You know, New Zealanders are not signing central contracts now. We're used to it with the West Indians. That's been happening for a while. Trent Bolt doesn't play against England in the Test Series because he's decided not to sign a central contract. So that immediately devalues that. Now, look, I, I, get, I get the arguments. I get market forces, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think administrators have been honest about the extent to which the T20 juggernaut is crushing everything else. I like T20, but we have reached the point. It's not even crossroads. that Cricket has decided which path it is taking and administrators have let it happen. So I want, I want a bit of everything. I want five-day Red Bull cricket. I want 20-over White Bull cricket. It's all fun. That's part of cricket's charm. Um, what are the solutions? Well, I... It's tricky. The moment private equity came into cricket was the moment, and that was several years ago, was the moment administrators lost control of the game. They've allowed it to happen bit by bit. What they have to do now is, uh, it's a bit like climate change. You can't stop a lot of it. You can mitigate the worst effects possibly if you start now, and that might involve things like saying, look, Saudi Arabia, you can't start your own T20 tournament because we're not going to allow you to pilfer our players, a bit like the ILT 20s done in, in the UAE. You know, the national boards have have let that happen, really. Um, and how realistically do they stop that, though? I mean, you know, the, the IPL kind of started as a as a riposte to, to private money putting on a putting on a tournament where they were attracting players who were, you know, whether they were in contract, out of contract, whatever it might have been. Before the proliferation of a lot of um, of international central centrally contracted players, so what was it? It was the the C what was it the CPL? What was it? Is that what it was called? Oh, ICL. The ICL. Sorry, the ICL, and that all began because what 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 can boards do to stop to stop players from going? They get offered a large amount of money. They're not under contract anywhere, or the contracts are easily easily escaped from, and off they go. They play in a, a tournament that's not sanctioned. Doesn't have to be. Well, I mean, I, how, how do you do that well, realistically? The, look, the, the only solutions are idealistic, I'm afraid, because yeah. we've gone so far down the, mm. the, 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 the private equity route that 
to, to what we need someone said on the on twitter put it quite nicely recently it was like we we need a form of socialism we've got sort of uber capitalism running <clears throat> running cricket essentially what it needs is for is for the ipl franchises to not say we're going to take over the world well you know it's not going to happen so we have to countries like england and australia i think they have the biggest role to play in this because india we, we know which path they're going down can england and australia not bend over backwards can they take a bit of a stance and actually richard thompson richard gould formerly of this parish speaking a quite a good game even yeah. you know, Thompson saying things like we need to host Bangladesh we haven't hosted since 2010 now I'm not saying that will save the cricket world but it says something about the fact that I think I say in the notes that the biggins have to look after the Litlands we do need a form of socialism I, I get that's naive I get it's idealistic but we w there is no other answer mm -hmm. at the moment otherwise we're just going to walk into this open you know there, there'll, there'll be no there'll be no proper test cricket in social time apart from the ashes and maybe india yeah. so socialism at lords plum warner <laughs> would be turning in his grave um, <laughs> let's do it another line on richard thompson though it, it, from your piece you know if the game just chases money it will devour itself now that is a that's an interesting that's line. thompson saying that not that's me Tom right yeah that's yeah. thompson that's the head boss of the ecb it's hard to have imagined those words coming out of previous incumbents in that role right so so that hints at least as you say it may be talking a good game you've got to walk it as well we shall wait and see but I, the only i guess the thing with that always is, is that you can't you can't take a stand on your own right you, you need you need allies um right. like hard-hitting ones and, and that's where there aren't very many there aren't any left i mean australia is the only other one and in the end you get run over by by not being strong enough to stand up to the strongest i mean so here's, here's a you know just a, sh a thought that flashed into my head around the idea of kind of in, in being able to encourage um uh, the, the 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 test nations that are losing the will to live literally um in test cricket is by is, is by having a summer summer here in in the uk whereby you don't where you play sort of either a triangular or some sort of a tournament that involves England. So England play matches against two other two other nations in a sort of a round robin of test match cricket. You end up with seven test matches in the summer, which you would do anyway. But there is a there is something there for fan bases of, of the other of the other teams as well. I mean, I, again, it's just literally off the back off of, off a fag packet. But in order to try, so that you don't because England English cricket cannot afford to have a summer whereby your your touring parties are Sri Lanka and the West Indies followed up by do you understand? Totally. We, we know the reality so of it is, is you cannot have teams that do not attract large amounts of large audiences or large amounts of interest coming in back-to-back -back summers. So what do you do? You invite two of them at once. Right. Right. Carrying on that idea, which is, is bang on. And I've been saying this for a while now, right? So you've got the World Test Champs final hit here in what, six weeks time, something like that. Uh, what's stopping the ICC, uh, with the with the the buy-in from the boards of setting up a test championship summer over six weeks or seven weeks whatever it would need to be and at the end of that run of that three-year run or whatever the top four teams in the the test champs table compete across seven weeks they play a round robin game a series of round robins and then the finalists play maybe a two test series or a three test series it's all completed within seven weeks and within that so it's the length of a world cup Within that, you can have the full heft of the ICC's sponsorship partners from Booking.com to IG to all the rest of them, or whatever they are these days. And you'd have the eyes of the international cricketing world on a test match jamboree, a proper yeah. festival of test cricket, rather than this compelling and mouthwatering, but still here today, gone tomorrow, done in a week test final. 
where we didn't even really know who was going to be in it until five minutes before the end of, of a higgledy-piggledy table. I mean, Tesco has been, slow, has, has been slow to innovate in the past. I think that's part of why it's in this position where the, the private entities that you're talking about don't feel like it's worth investing in. Um, so, 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 sorry, just as I'm thinking at the top of my head. So take, think of an Indian cricket fan, right? Obviously yeah. awash with all, of the, all the fun of the fair right in the midst of it right now. They've got this final coming up, and for a week, they're going to be gripped by what happens India-Australia. But you imagine if it's India-Australia, England, and Sri Lanka, who, mm. were, who finished third, I think, in that final table. All four of them together across a, a month and a half. Mm. Then you're sustaining that interest and that passion over a far wider stretch of time. And you're also engendering some real memories there, right? The, the problem for me with the Test Championship final is that it, it might just flutter away. Yeah. You know, if you're all out for 150 on the first morning because it's overcast, then it might be a bit of a dud game uh, and or an underwhelming experience. But if you have a proper circus for six weeks, I'd, I'd love to see that. I've been, I've been saying this for I mean, a while. I mean, the issue, I guess the issue always with the, with the World Test final is that all of the games are, bi- all of the, the, the matches are bilateral series. So there's no eyes on them. You know, there's only the eyes that are interested in them at the time. There is no, there's no sort of feeling that this is a competition that everyone is 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 um is contesting all at the same time. Which is why bilateral cricket is still very very important. You know, sure. you have to have all of that type of stuff. But if, but I guess what you're saying is if you have if you have the the, the far the the back end of it contested all all in in front of everybody all at once, then everybody feels invested in the in the winner at the moment. Right. Do you know what I mean? In your Australia, getting there is quite important. You know, everyone gets reasonably excited about the World Test Championship when it looks like when you're trying to work out who the two finalists are going to be. But you've gone through three years of no one giving a toss up to that point. You know what I mean? It's kind of the whole thing's a waste. Sure. People might argue, okay, well, if you just creep in in fourth place, then do you really have the right to, to to call yourself a world champion? But take that Sri Lanka example. They were two test matches away from being in that final. Yeah. And I think they actually ended up finishing fourth. I think South Africa finished third. Uh, But the point is, because of the... I think you try and mitigate against the imbalances of the table by putting a little bit more emphasis into it, right? Mm, You know, really driving home the fact that you can one day claim to be a world champion yeah. rather than it happening almost by accident. I think the, the thing that I find quite interesting about the conversation now compared to maybe like a year ago is that we're now seeing the product being really affected by all this um, big scale change. So for example, the Australia winter just gone, South Africa being that bad, that is that is really affecting the product of what Tesco is. Butch mentioned Sri Lanka and West Indies. They are the two teams that are touring next year in England. 10, 15 years ago, you'd be really excited by that. And I know that Sri Lanka's had this re- resurgence, but there's the interest in Sri Lankan cricket is not from a casual English fan perspective as high as it would have been 15 years ago. That will affect ticket sales. And I think now is the first time we're really feeling that, that the test we- that the test game is is tangibly weaker than it used to be. I think that's right. And actually, it's interesting. <clears throat> we always talk about money and how are we going to persuade the players to play test mm. cricket? That, that's But actually, what Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes have done is say, no, we're going we're gonna to make Test cricket exciting to play. I mean, it's interesting that when you know the squad for Pakistan, a guy like Liam Livingston is quite happy to to go there to play Test cricket, um, missing out on whichever was it the, the Bangladesh Premier League or the, some big bash. He, 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 yeah, big yeah, bash. Yeah. He turned down some money to because he wanted to be part of that. Will Jacks, you know, they, so these guys are suddenly tempted to play. Moeen Ali 
considered coming out of retirement for Test cricket because he wants to be part of the fun. Now, you have to have the set of players to be able to do what England have done, but maybe that's another route. I mean, Andrew Strauss talked about this last year, and he said, well, there are other ways of getting people interested in Test cricket. And we all scoffed a bit because it's like, well, money is the only answer. But what England have shown is maybe maybe it isn't. So I, I like your idea that, that the semis, because I think it's quite, if you've got a tournament that lasts three years, you want the teams who are fifth and sixth to think that they have a chance. You want them to keep playing. Now, you know, England were out of it before Basball started, weren't they? So it was kind of irrelevant. Yeah. Well, one win in 17 does that. One win in 17, so they, they, they were gone. But actually, what you want to see, really, you really want to see England v someone in the final, didn't you? Playing basketball in the World Test Championship final. So they probably wouldn't, have, they weren't even in the semis, would they? Yeah. No, they, no, they wouldn't. They, <laughs> they were so low down. But that you, so I like context in Test cricket. It has to have context because it's fighting against, um, you know, these, all these other competitions. So, Hmm. The Walker plan hmm. does it for me. Lovely. <laughs> what one win in seventeen really was bad, wasn't it? I know we said it. Dire. I know we talked about it all the time. But now a year bad. on, that was bad, wasn't it? Um, That's some real insights, there, boys. <laughs> <laughs> it was real bad. That's why we're the number one UK podcast. <laughs> uh, friend of the podcast, Matt Roller, asked a question directed at Lawrence: um, How close was Josh Butler to the T Twenty award after captaining a World Cup winning team? And winning the orange cap, that, that sounds like a pointed question. That's a leading question. question. <laughs> it's beautifully um, done. Are you saying I mischose Surya Kumar Yadav? <laughs> well, actually, it's a fair question because they were very close and I almost couldn't decide. I almost thought they both deserve it because Butler's runs came in. The two most important competition, T20 competition in the mm. world, the, the IPL and the, the World Cup. Yadav was out for 16 in the semi-final against England, which they breezed by 10 wickets. But, what, 1,164... T20 international runs, strike rate of 187. I mean, those are ridiculous numbers by Yadav. And he, 48 ball 100 against England, 49 ball against New Zealand. I think the start of this year was a 45 ball 100 against Sri Lanka. He kind of reinvented. I know he's had a bad trot recently, just as we announced the award. Um, but he, he, probably more than Butler, he has taken T20 mm. batting to new heights. Um, and imagine if we hadn't chosen him. And, and, and also, I think... Um, a feature of T20 cricket in 2023 so far has been um, increased run rates. We did, The PSL was the highest scoring PSL ever. IPL is the highest scoring IPL ever so far. Um, and Yadav must have an influence in doing that. He 187 is ridiculous. He's literally striking 11 and over on average. That's ridiculous. Um, so, yeah. I'm, besides, I, I, I'm the English on... can't win them all, right? <laughs> well, that, yeah, yeah, was, right. I'm not saying that was a factor. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was a worthy, he was a worthy winner. Yeah. He was a worthy yeah. winner, no yeah. doubt about it. Um, and you mentioned uh, them earlier about how dominant the Australian women's side is. And it was a, a player from the Australian women's side, Beth Mooney, who was the leading women's player in the world this year. Averaged 100 in one day internationals last year. Scored 63 in the, uh, the Ashes Test with titanium <coughs> plates in her jaw mm. after being hit in the nets by Matthew Mott, now the England <laughs> white ball coach. Um, won the Commonwealth gold, was player of the tournament. That, I mean, she did everything. That that Australian team is one of the great all-time sporting teams. I mean, it, it's kind of they've gone under the radar slightly because, unfortunately, it's it's women's cricket. But they are so far ahead of the pack that you know everyone is willing them not to win just to kind of balance things out a bit. When India collapsed in the Commonwealth Games final, mm-hmm. like you groan slightly. But she she's she stands out in a, in an all-time great team. So again, quite an easy one for us. Mm. Um, bit of news today, Australia have announced a squad for the first half of their English summer. So the World Test Championship final and the first two Ashes Test matches. Um, no real surprises there, but we've not really covered this on the podcast. But um, Marcus Harris was awarded a, a central contract. He's been 
named in the squad. And I guess that is just quite interesting, Butch, around, around David Warner. So so often, so for so long, a permanent fixture in the Australian test side, but he's not quite getting the backing that he previously has done. He's still in the squad for the first mm. three test matches. Uh, he's got a central contract, but that is a all-format central contract. And you kind of think, well, Marcus Harris isn't going to... Um, He's not going to be in the ODI World Cup squad, is he? So why has he got a central contract and Kawaj is doing so well at the top? That kind of indicates that Warner's spot isn't safe for that second half of the Ashes series. At least. Yeah, and it's it's odd, actually, for Australia to seemingly hedge their bets like this, actually. They're, they're normally more brutal than that, aren't they? I mean, Warner's form, even in, even looking at the IPL, he's kind of he's just a bit of a... I think one of the one of the things I read. I mean, it's not a not a world beating world beating quote, but shadow of his former self in terms of strike rate, in terms of just everything about his game just looks a little bit um, a little bit less than. And of course, he comes to England where his record is uh, is is very much less than. And and Stuart Broad, you know, the two of them could be making their their final bows in, in Test match cricket together, and one of them very much has the uh, the upper hand in terms of that contest. So he averaged nine and a half yeah. in the last series over here. Yeah, uh, this morning. And and it's just I don't know it. The whole the, the whole Aussie um, squad actually, albeit it's, there's still some bloody good players there. You know, it's 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 going to be a really really top series, and they've got some fabulous players there. It was it was a little bit less bold than perhaps I expected. And in, in in times gone by, even in teams that that never got beat, that you know there would always be a couple of sort of brutal axings, and 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 players very rarely managed to last. You know, with the exception perhaps of Mark Taylor and Steve War prolonged periods of of, of, uh, of low productivity so um interesting very interesting but they have got, as you said they've got plenty of backup at the top of the order around him and it was it 17 as a 17 man squad for the first three test matches which again I, I know in in um you know post-covid time 17 is, is has become a little bit more the norm but you know, Australia used to sort of laugh at England taking 16, 17 plus, you know, back in the back in the old days. Say, well, if you haven't got a clue up to 15, then you then you really don't know what you're doing. So they, they've kind of, <laughs> it looks looks to me a little bit unsure, um, which does not mean by any means that Australia will not be very, very strong yeah. in contesting the Ashes. But, um, but uh, it's going to take a heck of a lot for Warner to turn it around, I think. Well, also in terms of hedging their bets, Matt Renshaw's in the squad. So Matt Renshaw, he, That's he, what I mean. He, he Renshaw, pretty, pretty Kawaja, much, yeah. Harris... And Warner, you got four openers. Yeah, and 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 Renshaw almost literally didn't score a run in the India series, but he was back I mean, in the middle order. Five or six, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. But he's been opening in the Australia A series against New Zealand, and he got back to back hundreds. So obviously, um, a contender opens well. Um, the Wisdom Shop has had a long-awaited restock of their cricket ball leather wallets made from premium Italian leather. The Wisdom wallet is perfect for that cricket fan in your life. The touch and feel of the premium quality Italian leather and the distinctive cricket ball seam stitching are designed to give tangible everyday reminders of the game we all love. Exclusively available at wisdom.com forward slash shop. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Um, Phil, we, we spent a nice Sunday together, yeah. didn't we? Um, we on, did. On the, on the sorry commentary. Career we got some, highlight for me. 
you, you, as, as you as you said on air. Um, just slipping in next to you yeah, <laughs> on a Sunday afternoon. It was beautiful. Um, we watched something quite special though, because I remember there's a point where like this could as, be this could be a really just before good you game. go on. Sorry, just as Mark said earlier, any old muppet can do it these days. He's absolutely <laughs> right. <laughs> as he walks in. <laughs> It's so easy, Absolutely honestly. Absolutely right. But sorry to cut you. Sorry, <laughs> no, no, so Mark was spending his holiday in Tenerife glued to the stream. I'm sure. <laughs> <Don't> um, <laughs> but, but in that game, sorry, Hampshire, there was a period where we were like, this could be a really good, this could be a really good finish. And then we were deprived of a really good finish because we saw a classic Ollie Pope knock. 100 off 70 in the evening session, 122 not out in the end. Um, we had a question about him. How indicative is... Pope's performances for his England form. He's played well for Surrey in the past and not always converted for England. How impressed were you by Pope? Was that like a different level to what we've seen before? Uh, it's a decent Hampshire attack. Probably slightly more uh, swaggering and flamboyant. But I think that is uh, a consequence of what he's done the last 12 months in an England shirt. Um, he, he now knows, he's ensconced now as the golden boy of, of English cricket alongside Brooke. Uh, and his record out there is comparable with any of the great cricketing records, or it's certainly developing into it. He averages 93, 94, 94, over a fair sample size now. 99 for Surrey. It's 99 for it's Surrey. 95 first class throwing his test match here. Okay. It's 99 for Surrey first class. Yeah, I mean, he scores, <laughs> he scores an 81 and the average goes down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's also just so, so damn watchable as well. You know, I mean, the... the the creativity and the the boldness, you can see how alert he is to the situation, uh, and he's also desperate to play. And no, look, if you're playing like that, then it's a joy, of course. Uh, but there are, there, are certain, there are certain. I think I might have said it before about him on this show. No doubt I have. But there's certain cricketers that you get the sense that their love of the game maybe waxes and wanes a little bit, and if mm. you know the, the slight sort of ambivalence about about the game at times with Pope. He doesn't want to rest at all. He doesn't. He wants to bat and bat and bat. And they, and they, there's a sort of. He's got this lovely combination of, of boyish love for the game mm. and now a fully formed, proper cricketer, a hard nosed cricketer as well. Uh, you were there, Lawrence, right? I was. No, it was a treat. I mean, like you, I did feel slightly cheated. I wanted a great finish, and what I got was a, a fantastic innings by Pope, which is a pretty good consolation prize. And we talked earlier about Bairstow being the standard bear of basketball, mm. followed by Brooke. Pope's not been a million miles behind. The figures aren't quite there, but um, he has played some cracking knocks. And he's a good example of the kind of man management of the team. You know, the shocking Ashes didn't play in the Caribbean. What does Stokes and McCullum do? They put him up to three where he'd never played before. There was that show of faith in itself sort of reignited him, mm. I think. Um, Just on that very briefly, yeah. he contacted Stokes, didn't he? When Stokes got the gig and Pope actively went to Stokes and said, remember me? I quite fancy it at three. I think there might be a slot there. And Stokes said, well, it's funny you should say that because I think you're the best young cricketer in England. And two weeks later, he was, he was, he was batting at first drop. That shows that while he looks very undemonstrative and, and butter wouldn't melt, there's a clear, there's a steel to the, to the kid as well. well he, and a, and a yeah. vaulting ambition there as well. They, you know, he's being talked about as Stokes' successor as test captain. And if he's playing like, like that now, I mean, you, you do wonder what will happen when... Stokes goes, will England be able to keep playing the way they do? If Pope is batting like that now, that suggests he wants to keep that, that mm. style of play going, scoops for six and so on, reverse sweeps. Um, it was a joy to watch. And I was a bit worried about Pope's um, second innings in Wellington 
Mm. Uh, it, it seemed a bit sort of frantic, and it was part of that little collapse that ultimately, I suppose, cost England the game. Though, though, though Root and Stokes almost got them over the line. And I thought that that's interesting. But you know, the way he's come out at the start of the season is is very encouraging. I, I do think it's quite interesting that Pope is so good in county cricket; he can get scores. Like I, I totally understand where that question came from. He can get scores, and I still think you can watch him and be like, I'm not really sure what that means. So the first innings, he scores 91. He didn't start well. He, you know, we talked about the commentary. He, he nearly got out to Ian Holland. He kept on, um, is, ve- is very premeditated. He kept coming down the wicket when they weren't really easy runs on offer. And then in the second innings, I think partly because the match situation dictated, he batted in a particular way. He was just pure class. And almost, he didn't have to premeditate almost. And I think that that's when he's at his best to just kind of batting naturally. It's almost when he's trying to do something extra, right? But, but that's he, when that's when things go wrong with him. But he said himself. I remember he gave a very revealing interview to Joe actually two or three years ago, and he said he's always had a problem naught to twenty. Now mm. you could argue that every player in history has had a problem from naught to twenty, but he he found that he w- wasn't playing that his natural game, and that he was frenetic, and that he was trying to find a way to get from here to there. And I think having maybe underperformed for England in the first. You know, the first 15, 20 mm. test matches, he made that 100 at Port Elizabeth, but not much else. I think freed up by the doctrine, the baseball doctrine, whatever we want to call it, I think that's helped him crystallise this way of going. Mm. And it is, on the surface, quite funky. And it's it's rare to see a player at first drop run, run down the pitch to Nokia, as he, as he did last summer. And yet, it's his way, I think, of getting the blood pumping, getting him going, because it, it, he would rather be out charging at somebody than prodding a little bit indeterminately outside mm. of stump. Mm. I, I think. What do I you remember, think? I remember you the know, innings. You, you I remember there. the innings that you he played. Us. That he played at Lords in the match that England lost against South Africa, and he got seventy, I think, in the first innings. Yeah. Um, and it was going all over the place. Like swinging and seeming, Norky was bowling quick and whatever. And, but he was the only—he was the only guy who actually seemed to have. He just had a, a sort of a plan as to, okay, well, there's some terrific deliveries knocking around here. I'm going to get a good one at some point. And so he—he he did run down the pitch. He did try and get slightly offside of the ball to nudge it into the leg side to get off strike and all that type of stuff. And it was it certainly wasn't something. It was something that would have had people leaping out, you know, coaches leaping out of their seats and banging on the windows in the past. And what the hell is this guy doing? He's batting at number three for England. But um, it seemed a better option, I, you know. And this is me watching it as a commentator. I was up there watching it. It seemed a hell of a lot of better option than standing there and trying to play for your off stump. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you ha- you have to, as with all of this, you have to be, you have to use sort of judgment, and and it's not sort of running down to try and have a slog or whatever. But I think if you can particularly, it's like if you're a bowler, right? And it's, and, it, it, and the pitch is green and you're bowling 85 clicks and it's nibbling all over the place. Why would you run up and bowl a load of slower balls and go for Yorkers and bounces and that sort of stuff? The more help you're getting from the surface, the less you have to do. You just be accurate. Wear a hole in it, shoebox size, off stump, top of off, and you will get wickets. And similarly with batting, if the ball is going all over the shop, then there's not a great deal of... of, of of point in just staying in your bunker mm. and allowing the bowlers to run up and bowl into that shoot box. You've got to try and do something else. And you're kind of, you're on more of a hiding to nothing by standing still and being bowled at than you are having a little bit of a dip and just trying to put them off. But, but again, it, it requires, it requires a heck of a lot of courage, 
great hand-eye coordination and, and actually quite a lot of um, self-belief in yourself because you're going to make yourself look daft every once in a while. But I think one of the great things about the England dressing room at the moment is, is there is no there is no problem with making yourself look a bit silly. You're not, you know, th- th- people aren't sniggering behind the behind the copies of the Times or going, "What's this clown up to?" You know, <laughs> you know. Is that what happened to you? Uh, not, no, I, I never. Uh, probably should have, should have run down yeah. the wicket a bit more. No, but somebody like Alistair Brown, he, he was um, but old teammate of mine. You know, way ahead of his time in terms of, sort of one day cricket. You know, he because he ran down the wicket when it was going all over the shop against Prasad and, and Srinath and people like that in one day internationals. They literally wrote that he was a clown. He got hundred in the yeah. game, by the way. Um, you know, or in the next in the next one day international, and never played again. The, the um, appearances were more important than the end product. Um, in in days gone by, this England dressing room is like we don't give it. I don't give a crap. Run down the wicket, get your leg poles knocked out. Doesn't matter. W- what was your thinking behind it? Were, were, why were you Why were you taking that approach? If you're happy with it and you'd do it again tomorrow, then fine. We don't care. And and in doing that, you've allowed players to kind of to find a method of scoring runs because at the end of it all. That's the bottom line. And Ollie Pope, batting at three, having never done it, was unbelievably impressive during the course of last summer, I thought, on, on some really tricky surfaces, getting mm. some good bowling. Um, and, and it is no surprise to me that somebody who had already dominated at county level was always going to make it at test match level. Was, I'd never, never thought for a second that he wouldn't crack it at some point. But then now he goes back to county cricket and he just looks like a titan. He's like so much, so much better than the next guy. Mm. Because you, you just... You know, I had it to a very, very much lesser extent. Not, not talking about my career, but just the feeling that you had when you'd been successful at test level, coming back to county level. It was like you were playing against boys rather than people who were your peers. And Ali Pope will have that to a hell of a lot better extent than I ever did. You know, so it's no surprise that he did what he did the other mm. day. Um, the, the biggest news, though, from the sorry Hampshire game was that during the rain delay on day two. Keith Barker confirmed the story about Mohamed Abbas and Pep Guardiola that Cam talked about on last week's pod. Um, so I don't know if you've seen this, but I'll, I'll go over it again because it's quite a funny story. Essentially, Mohamed Abbas um, stays in the uh, premium penthouse suite at the Aegeus Bowl Hotel. And when Southampton played Man City, there was a request for Pep Guardiola to have that suite. Um, and Hampshire basically said, no, that's Mohamed, that's Mohamed Abbas's suite. <laughs> Um, and and we clipped this up, put it on Instagram. And during the rain delay, Keith Barker replied saying, "This is 100 percent true." The head of ops at Hampshire is an Arsenal fan, um, <laughs> which is excellent. Um, um, Lawrence, briefly on on, on Northampton, they they are they had a good win this week, and um, a couple of maybe not um, they're not huge name overseas signings, but both the two Aussie recruits who aren't anywhere near the Australian test squad have done pretty well for them in that game, at least. Yeah, in that game, yeah. Whiteman got some runs second innings chasing 120, which as a lifelong Northants fan, I thought was going to be beyond <laughs> us. But he helped get us over the line having not scored anything in the first three innings. And then Tremaine, this this seam bowler, who looks quite an English seamer, actually, yeah. but he sort of uh, lands it you know, on a good length, moves it both ways, relishes his wickets, a lot of fist pumping, and it's, it's good to watch, actually. Um so that he's kind of almost been plucked from over. They, they've got a strong seam attack, Northants. It's the, it's the batting I'm I'm slightly concerned about. They haven't got a batting point yet, but then nor have a couple of other teams in in that division. It's gonna there could be a lot of bun fights, I think, this mm. season. Uh, to, so to beat Middlesex, who are already shaping up as relegation rivals, <laughs> was quite a big result early on. Mm, definitely, um, hundred for my man Jack Haynes. I like him a lot. Mm-hmm. Saw some of that. Uh, good hundred against a good Durham attack. Durham won that game, playing. Uh, an aggressive, ultra-aggressive form of the game, right? got an email on this. Oh, okay, go for it. Um, so, Jamie, 
uh, writes in say, um, I'm not sure if it's worthy of a mention on the pod. It definitely is. But having watched every single ball of Durham's first two matches, first on YouTube and second at the ground, I can say in terms of intent and style, it is right from the England model. They've lost one, they've won one, but they were both unbelievable games, which Durham were very happy to risk losing the fourth result. Not just run rate, they were often going at five and over, but they're happy to concede runs in search of wickets. Last season was tough, but this was genuinely entertaining. I'm not sure if it's happening elsewhere in the country. I've actually been surprised. The, the, the coach, Ryan, Ryan Campbell. Ryan Campbell. Has, he, he said this at the start of the season as well, that they were going to go at it hard. Um, and it's, it's playing out. Conversely, very delayed declaration at Chelmsford, Lancashire-Essex. Um, that was weird. It was an odd one, wasn't it? Uh, especially as Essex you know, can barely get past 300 mm. on a road at the moment. And they ended up spluttering to four or five down, I think. Nowhere near the 300 plus that, that Keaton Jennings set Essex across two sessions. And these are the kinds of results that come the end of the end of the the story you you look at those kinds of games if they'd given themselves 75 overs with Anderson with a new ball they'd have probably won that game mm. they basically gave Essex as many runs to chase in two sessions as Ben Stokes gave Pakistan in four sessions at, at Royal Pindi <laughs> right. so the memo has not dropped with Lancashire that was that yeah. was a really strange decision Anderson yeah. got cooked out twice yeah but first one was a bit iffy first innings was a shocker yeah um County streams are good for, for most people in the game, but they're not great for umpires occasionally. <laughs> um, uh, Phil, you want to make a point about the Zach Crawley discourse. He got a couple of scores, low scores this week, and talking of not great umpiring decisions, the, the second one was, was a shocker. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't close to being out. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this goes in at the end, because uh, it, it feels a bit of a non-secretor, to be honest. But no, it, I, think it's, I think it's worth it, saying. It, it struck me... Um, I was actually having a conversation with my dad, right, about my, my our football team that we both support, and it's the Spurs. Okay, don't whatever. Uh, but the discourse around it is so miserable, so awful that it sort of deepens the, the the sadness, right? Now you've got honest footballers in that in that team who are given dogs abuse on Twitter, and it's out of control. And I'm no doubt every every club has the same problem. The vile abuse that is directed at individuals is off the charts. Now, cricket is a, is a more decorous world, right, generally, but I'm feeling it creeping in more and more. Now, Zach Crawley, on the balance of, of play, shouldn't open the batting in, in the next test match, and he's not got enough runs. But it's becoming very personal and very vicious, uh, and I would hate that cricket would to drag itself into this, this sort of vile ugliness that football is being being kind of poisoned by and I would hate the fact that the thought that cricket would be pulled in into that world as well right and while Zach Crawley's done nothing wrong uh this year he made a good a very good 90 in a low scoring game that they won by a few wickets when no one else got any runs in that first innings uh then he failed twice and then he got a shocker now all right it adds up to averaging 25 which isn't enough sure okay I don't dispute the numbers but it's become personal against this kid, uh, and I don't like it. I didn't like what, what we did, what Wisdom.com did. We clipped up a graphic. Zach Crawley's scores, Zach Crawley's now failed, blah, blah, blah. Zach Crawley's poor form continues, dot, dot, dot. I, don't, I didn't like it from us. I don't like it across the board, really. Have, have conversations about players, about permutations, about lineups, for sure. But you've got to remember that these are just young, young kids just trying to make their way, trying to survive in a 
a pressure cooker that is unlike anything you've ever imagined sporting wise mark you played for for england 70 times it's not like it is now if you dare if you have a weak moment and at midnight after a drink you think right i'm gonna put, put my name into twitter or instagram I mean, you know, not now, you're fine. But you know what I mean? It would be devastating for a lot of these players. I think what is really difficult, I completely agree with what you're saying. I think what is difficult, though, is that I, don't, I think you should be allowed to say Zach Crawley is not scoring runs. So, for example, a lot of the what, what ends up happening is that people um, maliciously latch on to stuff that just says that. If you are the incumbent England opening batter and you average 29 in first-class cricket, it is okay for people to say you average 29 in first-class cricket. The issue, and I think that people in the media should be allowed to say that, the issue is that whenever you say that, I, I know people will, will react to this conversation in a mean way. There'll be people who do that. And I find that quite difficult to grapple with because I think we should still be able to say that Zach Crawley's not scoring runs. Do you get yeah, what I'm, I, you I I'm do, saying? I do. And I'm not putting the boot in on the social media team of, of you know, the company that that we work for. I'm not doing that. Bad, uh, it'd be a bad call. I mean... You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, There's the door, Phil. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I just want us to be a bit kinder, mm. I suppose, to, to these these cricketers who are struggling, doing doing one of the toughest jobs out mm. there. Well, it's interesting that Harry Brook struggles the first three innings in the IPL and scores 100 off 55. One of the first things he says to Harsha Bogle afterwards is like, I hope this shuts a few Indian fans up. And that was a a reaction to what he was picking up on social media. It was a good lesson to probably stay off Twitter, mate, at the moment. Stay off it for your, for your career, stay probably. Off it, because, I mean, you know, so, uh, so I was I kind of following that because because the inference was, particularly after the first, it might even have been just after his first innings in the IPL, was that, oh, you know, well, he's been at the PSL where everyone can, anyone can score runs there. And, you know, it's, it's all part of the narrative that India is better than Pakistan, Pakistan's better than India, that, that whole nonsense. Simon Dorr got caught caught up in that, funnily enough. There was some made-up quote from him saying that he couldn't wait to get out of Pakistan and been locked up like a prisoner for, for months and now he's in the proper place of India. Oh, well, that's a bullshit. I was with Dooley and I, I can... Can, I can tell you, we weren't locked up anywhere. Not, not that we didn't want to be anyway. Um, <laughs> no, nowhere that we wouldn't have chosen, gladly. Um, so, you know, this, so, so there is a, there's another narrative there with India. But after two games, it was like, you know, he's the most overrated, most overpriced player, whatever. And then he scores 100, you know, does what we expect him to do at some point. 100 off 55 balls. And actually, funnily enough, but the interesting thing was, because there's quite a lot of players who wouldn't have done what he did, wouldn't have come out and mentioned it like that. But, the, but one of the good things about, one of the great things about being there in India is that they're actually quite happy to cut. It's not like, it's not like here with football and, and the other sort of arguments that you can have about other things that polarise people in this country, where, where people, nobody ever backs down or ever changes their mind and you know, kind of entrench themselves and dig, dig in even further. They actually just go, oh, you know what? Yeah, okay, we were wrong. You were right. You're brilliant. You know, it just flips just like that. All he had to do was make the runs. Um, so I was kind of so rather than rather because if somebody had done that here, if somebody had done you know would come straight out first interview against NASA. There you go. I told you I'm brilliant. You're all rubbish. You know what? Blah blah blah. That, and people would have piled in on him even more. Over there they just went, yeah, okay, fair enough. I just let you <laughs> yeah. on with it. So you know, yeah, it, there's a slight naivety in the abuse over there, which 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 is if you're uninitiated can be really really horrible. You know the the language used. However, it's kind of it's not quite the same as the abuse you get over here, funnily enough. I, I, I loved his, um, 
I love all all his comments after hundred. He was asked where where it ranks compared to his four test hundreds, and he said, obviously the four test hundreds are better. But I was like. You didn't smile when you scored any of them, and you and you definitely smiled when you, when you scored that. Um, I enjoyed that. Um, before we get on to the IPL, uh, the the women's domestic season kicks off this weekend. Um, Phil, there's a there's a there's a preview for that in the upcoming magazine. Um, yeah, that, that Joe and Katty put together. Yeah, just very briefly, full preview of the whole domestic season upcoming. Um, the the eight sides now expanded, of course, uh, for the new season. And Katya and Joe have interviewed uh, a prominent player from each of the each of the teams. Um, so there's not enough coverage of dom- women's domestic cricket generally, but hopefully this is a sign that it will be more followed, more respected. As the standard, of course, continues to soar. Um, and and if, if you are if you are interested, then pick up the magazine when it's out mm. in a week and a half's time, because it'll give you all the details that you need the fi- the upcoming fixtures, the, uh, the the inside track on each of the teams. Mm. Um, and it's, I think especially interesting with the Ashes coming up, but also after a really good winter for the women's game. Um, if you if you're after a storyline to follow at the start of the Rachel Hayo Flint Trophy, um, all eyes on Grace Scriven. So she was. Uh, player of the tournament for England as they got to under 19 World Cup final. Um, she's had a truly ridiculous week. So she scored 204 days, the second of which in a game where no one else in her team passed 10. So um, that's that's pretty good going. And, um, you know, you've seen how quickly Alice Capsey has, has gone from, um, you know, no one heard of her to being in the England side and starving side star in the IPL. Um, Scrivens is actually older than Capsey, but um, still very young. So I, I, I'll be interested to see how how she develops over over the early few weeks in the summer. Before we finish the show, we're going to hear from Abhishek Mukherjee, the Wizen India head of content. Abhishek, you're joining us live from the ground at Delhi, where um, Rain Dependent will see Delhi play KKR later today. Some some English involvement in the IPL over the last few days. Uh, in particular, Harry Brook. He scored a he scored a hundred, his first IPL hundred. There's understandably a lot of excitement around Brook in the UK, given what he's done in his short England career so far. He then got picked up for big money in the IPL, but as we've seen in the past, that's no guarantee of IPL success. How is Brook viewed in India and how impressive was that 100? See, uh, Brook has a phenomenal start in Test cricket. So those numbers, I mean, first of all, England has got the neutrals speaking about Test cricket and Brook is part of that. Brook is a major reason for that. That neutrals are talking best. There's the usual, there's appreciation, there was appreciation for Brook, but there was all, also, you know, the feeling, the usual, let him prove himself in India and then we'll acknowledge feeling. That, that's always there. So he went for big money, there was anticipation, then he failed, his record against spin was dug up, uh, and then analysis began. But uh, if you ask me, it was only a matter of time. He was too gifted to fail. His talent is too obvious. He's been moved up to the top of the order. Something I know that every T20 batter will want to open the batting. It's probably the easiest job in, in T20 cricket. But he, as you say, he's, he struggled a little bit against spin. And he actually, he went so hard against the Pacers that he could afford to be much more reserved against a spin. But also, he could do it because of his teammates around him were going very hard against spin. So actually... As a as a partnership, they were always going at a pretty good rate. So it was, it was actually incredibly impressive innings management from Brook. He didn't try to do anything uh, out of his comfort zone. He knew which bowlers to target. And uh, Kolkata Knight Riders typically have, have always had a very strong spin attack. He knew 
that Narayan was not the one he should he would he would attack, and he did exactly that. Can you remember a young overseas batter with this much hype around them this early in their career? Because the the top 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 T Twenty batters um, are all late twenties and above. Really, you got some exciting young players like Brevis and Stubbs, etc. But they're not necessarily getting on the park. There haven't been that many batters like Brook. Um, coming over to India in the last few years. Brevis, the hype around Brevis was somewhat due to the Under-19 World Cup. That made him a superstar and the similarities with Devilio. So before Brevis actually did anything, some videos of him started doing the round. So he that baby AB name, I think, was coined before he did so well in the Under-19 World Cup. And the Under-19 World Cup is actually very keenly followed in India. Yeah, I mean, India have, I think, won, uh, lost just two matches across the last four editions. That has generated a very strong followership. Bre- the hype around Brevis was largely due to his under-19 performances. But Brooke, yes, as you mentioned, uh, I mean, uh, Brooke has been part of the Test cricket revolution over the past one year. I wanted to talk about uh, a Rajasthan Royals game. There was an odd game the other day where... They failed to chase 155, having been 87 for naught after 11 and a bit overs. Josh Butler fell for 40 of 41, which is an uncharacteristic Butler innings. What do you think happened there? First with Rajasthan failing to chase down 155 from being in such a good position, but also Butler striking at less than 100. The innings break, I thought it would be a cakewalk. So... I think last year Butler in a, on on a several on, on a number of I mean, several on several locations Butler actually started off slow and took the game uh, very deep and finished finished them off either while batting first or while chasing but that, Butler did that but he they probably left much for too late they have uh, four batters who strike at about one forty in this tournament. Five, if you include Jurel. But the other two, I think Parag is, is, has been striking at 109. Padikal has had 113. And they left too much for Parag and Padikal. Parag and Padikal also have a strike rate around in their low 120s in the IPL. So that is not the best possible pair to back together when you ask it is mounting. I think Butler, I, I think he backed himself to... Uh, Bat a bat until the 1890s over and finish the game. On the Royals, a, m- a more positive look at how they've done recently. Ravi Chandran Ashwin is is having a sensational tournament. He's taking wickets. He's going at just over a run of ball. He's obviously a titan of Test cricket, but he's not often had IPLs like this. What's he doing so well or, or differently to recent years? Because his numbers are brilliant at the moment. If you ask me, I, I, this is purely from eye observation. He has been more, he has been more accurate. And uh, there have been certain dismissals where you could see he is plotting out dismissals just like in longer formats. He's allowing, he's tossing them up, allowing a boundary, but he's buying wickets. He saw that with Rube in one of the matches. He, Rube hit him down the ground for four. He still tossed the next one up outside off. And Rube went for a wild slog and missed it. And then he bowled a fast, fast straight one and Rube had no answer. So this is how he has set up batters in the longer format. He is now just replicating T20s. That is one thing. The Rajasthan Royals attack is perhaps the best in this IPL. 
they are just feeding off each other as well. So bold sometimes he takes one or two wickets first up, bolts needed. So the stage is already set for Ashwin and Ashwin bolts alongside Chahal. That is always dangerous if you thrive off each other. That is another thing. Being part, being part of a very good bowling attack uh, basically benefits everyone in the bowling attack. We're now a couple of weeks into the tournament. We've seen a lot of cricket. We've seen every side play a few games each. Um, who, who do you think are favourites at this point in the competition? Um, Gujarat and Rajasthan. Both of them. What, what is it about Gujarat that, that you like? They uh, basically stuck to last year's formula. They have a, a reasonably good bowling attack and they bowling go for wickets. And uh, they have Rashid Khan, who is basically, that gets you four overs guaranteed of basically nothing happening against you. And then the, Rashid is usually supported by very strong uh, fast bowlers. In batting, Ridhiman Chawa is one of the more underrated. Uh, he has a very good IPL strike rate. So, uh, in power play overs, he has the third best strike rate with a thousand run cutoff among Indians after Shaw and Sivak. He is basically that level. Wow. So, that goes unnoticed. His test wicket keeping is more in focus. So, along with him, they have Gil, and then they have Pandya, Miller. And now, uh, and now they have Vijay Shankar and Sai Sudarshan. So their middle order is has found shape. Along with that, they have a very good bowling attack. So they look a very solid side. Maybe uh, if you put me in the long run, if unless Rajasthan sorts out this middle order thing, I would put Gujarat ahead of Rajasthan. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Abhishek. I hope the rain clears off in Delhi, um, and we'll we'll catch you. We'll catch you soon. Phil, we're gonna we're gonna end the show on on a, on a somber note. Um, Simon Prodger passed away this week. Simon actually appeared on the podcast a few years ago. Um, you knew Simon well, do you know? Say a few yeah, uh, I was done in by this. Uh, Simon Prodger is was a beautiful human being. Um, one of the real good guys of cricket. Uh, not famous, not particularly rich, but gave his all to the game. Believed in in cricket as a force for good. He was the MD of the National Cricket Conference. He was, um, just let me get this exactly right. He was managing director of the National Cricket Conference, secretary of the club cricket conference. Uh, he was a fine cricketer himself, good left-hander. He was involved at Harlow Cricket Club, at Hoddesdon, Harefield, Watford Town, where he was chairman. Um, and he was the sort of bloke that was ahead of his time. He was talking about the absolute essential value of integrating disparate communities uh, before it became the absolute necessity to be talking about these things. He recognised the value of developing community cricket uh, and he's been doing it for years. He was instrumental in setting up the National Asian Cricket Council. Um, the African Caribbean Cricket Association, he was involved in setting that up as well. He played for a, a traveling Afro-Caribbean side on a Sunday as often the only white player there. Uh, he was a lovable bloke and um, he dropped down dead uh, a week and a half ago. Um, he'd picked his team for the the NCC representative 11 for the C, for, or squad for the summer. I think they sent the emails out to the players. Congratulations, you're going to be representing Southern England uh, club cricket and... Um, had a heart attack the following morning and never came out of hospital. Uh, so anyway, I just want to briefly say that 
Um, if you did know him, um, then there is a uh, a fund, a Simon Proger fund that the NCC, the National Cricket uh, Conference, is setting up um, to uh, continue his good work. Uh, and if you are interested in sending a few quid over to that, then trust me, it will go to good causes within the game um, and we can stick the details on the bottom of the podcast. Uh, so yeah, sorry to end on a somber note, but he was a top, top man. Hmm. Well said. Um, that is all uh, the time we have on today's show. Um, cheers, Phil. Cheers, Mark. Cheers, Lawrence. This has been the Wizard Cricket Weekly Podcast. We're going to be back next week and we've got an extra special interview that I'm sure uh, our pod listeners will enjoy. Podcast Network.